Hey everyone, thanks for joining. Today I am speaking with Darshan Maharaja. Darshan is a writer and a commentator, and I've been following him on Twitter for a little bit, and he writes a lot about immigration and basically, I guess, just looking at Canada through the lens of someone who is an immigrant, um, you know, and that's something that I speak about as well. Hi, Darshan, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Um, so the immigration thing, like I know you've been posting a lot lately about the international students, and that's kind of something that affects me in a way, not because I'm a student, um, you know, but in my current role at work, I've been hiring, um, I've been going through a hiring phase, and a lot of the people I brought on now are all immigrants, and a couple of them were students, and they started running into problems later last year because the government had switched their policy that said students could work 40 hours a week. Then they said, no, only 20 hours a week. And then finally at the last minute they relented and then went back to 40 hours a week. So like that was affecting me. So that was like, that was something in my head that I'm like, okay, do going forward, do I not hire anyone with a student visa? And then I saw some of the stuff you were putting about some of these, you know, quote unquote schools that, you know, people get a visa to come and go, go to a school. But when they show up, it's just like an empty building or something. Yeah, you know, as I have been uh, repeatedly saying, this whole international student policy has gone off the rails. It, it has so many problems that, uh, you know, one would need much more time than one hour to discuss all of it. <laughs> yeah. But the crux of it is that uh, there appears to be a mad rush in the Canadian government. And we can talk about the forces that are creating mm -hmm. Uh, that rush <laughs> later. But there appears to be a mad rush for, uh, you know, bringing people in as if the world is soon going to run out of people and we might as well get in as many as we can while supplies last. That is the kind of uh, obsession that I am seeing, single-minded pursuit of uh, numbers. So that has necessarily resulted in uh, diluting the standards uh, by which one becomes eligible for coming to Canada. If I think back to my childhood, uh, for someone, you know, I was living in India, I grew up there. And, uh, you know, someone going to a Western country, and typically it used to be mostly USA and sometimes US, uh, UK, and then a few cases of people going to other European countries and rarely Canada. But it used to be such a big deal. One had to have a very high qualification, like maybe a doctor or engineer or something, and then uh, to be able to, uh, you know, get a visa. And then one had to have uh, sufficient uh, financial resources. Uh, today, that is like even the new limit of $20,600 is nothing compared to the challenge it was then. To the extent that when that person was going, there used to be a small advertisement in the classified section, about three times the size of a typical classified, uh, where it used to say, you know, in Gujarati, Pardesh Gaman, that is going abroad. And then the person's passport size photo and his name and his qualification and where he is going and for what purpose. This used to be such a big deal that the family took pride in advertising. Now you are seeing a complete dilution of standards where kids who have barely finished their uh, grade 12 are coming here. And then the recent announcement by the Ontario uh, government that they can uh, get a pathway to permanent residency after a one-year certificate course. Now you add to that the dubious quality of many of the colleges uh, that we see around here in the GTA and elsewhere and how horribly they are prepared for uh, receiving the vast numbers of students that they are enrolling. It creates uh, a load on the municipal services, on housing. It creates friction in the society around the place. So, you know, there is this mad rush, uh, there is dilution of standards and the resultant, resultant problems that until now nobody was even acknowledging that they exist, these problems. And now that the uh, existence cannot be denied or ignored, 
they are trying to put band-aid solutions. But just to give you an example, there was this report from Thunder Bay where uh, international students, all of them from India and almost all of them from Punjab, they were living in tents. So how do you accept students uh, from abroad without thinking about where they are going to live? This, to my mind, is uh, a very uh, serious abdication of fiduciary duty. Yeah, and I mean, I, I've been saying this for a while about how, Kate, uh, you know, I came here as an immigrant. You came here as an immigrant. I was, you know, I was six years old. My family moved here, and you know, very happy to have come here. And I was glad that we could immigrate. But I'm opposed to mass immigration. I'm opposed to people coming in illegally through like you know Roxham Road and places like that. Same thing with my father. I remember my father when I was growing up. He owned a, a factory. And people would come in and say, oh, yo, this guy's from India. This guy's from Pakistan. Why don't you give him a job? You're from India. You know, your wife's from Karachi. You can give him a job. And my dad's like, if he doesn't have paperwork, he's not getting, he's not working for me. My father would have none of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, I'm the same way. I, I don't, but I've been taught, I talked about the abdication and responsibility and I, I did it in the sense of, uh, Islam and the refugees that were coming in from ISIS in like 2015. And then you read some of the reports, there were some in the Maritimes who hadn't seen a translator in, I can't remember if it was six months or a year. I'm like, okay, you're not helping these people. You're, you're bringing them in, you're throwing them in a room. Yes, they're better off than being attacked by ISIS, but you're not providing them with anything to survive in Canada, you know? And the, the, so it, it, to me, like what you're talking about here, it just seems like the same thing. Like, I wouldn't want to come from the Punjab and go to Thunder Bay. Cause I mean, Thunder Bay is like, I live in Montreal and like, that's cold enough. I wouldn't want to go to Thunder Bay and live in a tent. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's frigid up there, but so like, do you see anything from the government where they try to address this? Or is it like, when you say band-aid fixes, like, what are they, what do you see that they're trying to do? The narrative that has uh, existed for a long time and has been, you know, taken to a much higher level now because the issue is being discussed so openly is the main impediment. And here is the irony. You and I know that the systems at every level, societal level, governmental level, federal, provincial, municipal, mm -hmm. the institutions themselves, the entire system is horribly ill-equipped to handle this influx, which means that people who come in are going to suffer greatly. But if you speak against that influx, you are called a racist. Yeah. Or someone like you and I, we will be called people with internalized racism. No, we are thinking of yeah. the welfare of the people coming in. I don't want, you know, 18, 19, 20-year-old kids coming here and sharing a mattress, not just, it used to be, I'll give you a rundown of this. Back in 2018, here in Brampton, the rent for international students for shared basement was $260 a month. And there used to be like eight or 10 of them in the basement. Then it went down to mattress space. Still 10 or 15. Now there are more, you know, more uh, occupants per mattress. So, <laughs> and then it has gone down to shared mattresses. So two guys are sleeping on one mattress and paying 400, $500 a month as rent. And then if the mattress is on the main floor, then there is a surcharge of $20 per month. So, you know, this is. You know, if you look at it strictly from the point of view of economics, this is the market adjusting to the conditions. Mm -hmm. But you don't want people to live in these subhuman conditions. And the, uh, you know, one of the uh, root uh, roots of this is uh, the mad way in which all the colleges are admitting students. Many of these colleges are just visa mills. So there needs to be, uh, you know, a complete relook at how this policy has morphed since it was introduced maybe 10 years ago. 
it it has become something completely different from what was intended the intention was and i am personal witness to this that by the early 2000s uh, highly qualified immigrants were coming here and finding it difficult to get absorbed in the workforce in their field of work where they had qualified and had experience in because the canadian job market was not geared to recognize their credentials their educational or experience so this was supposed to be a solution to a problem that why don't we bring younger people here let them be educated here let them acquire work experience here and then all this problem that immigrants are facing disappears but the immigration quota didn't go down in fact it has increased more or less doubled and on top of it we have this runaway train of international student policy where you, last year we brought in like what 900000 students whereas when this policy was brought in the immigration quota was around 300 350000 so now you have half a million immigrants coming in you have almost a million uh, international students coming in then there are temporary foreign workers who are i think 100000 or 200000 thereabouts so you know the original objective of the policy has been completely forgotten and it's become uh, an easy vehicle for uh, some people to make tons of money at the expense of everybody else not just the students although they are my main focus but the society around that place is also suffering yeah i mean okay look with the student thing like first of all again like you know bring people in and make sure you have the services but what does that do for i mean i know birth rates in canada are falling but what does that do for canadian students like if let's just take even a legitimate university like you know u of t or mcgill or someone like that you know someone who lives in quebec pays a certain dollar amount to go into mcgill i don't know how much it is like when i was in school it was around 1500 a semester it wasn't much but an international student or even someone who came from another province their tuition doubled and an international student their tuition was you know multiple times that amount because you're international so i'm just curious like forget the the visa like you know forget the like the certification mills and all these places but like you know is this from like a university standpoint okay our funding's getting cut if we get you know more international students than then canadian students we can charge so much more money we'll make you know we'll have that like is there do you think there's pressure coming from that side to the government to keep these policies going because i mean it is a cash cow for the universities as well it is possible that the pressure is coming from universities themselves uh, few months ago i wrote about a news report that uh, had the university you know there is some kind of an organization of all the universities mm-hmm. and the spokesperson for that uh, organization was uh, making their case as to why they need uh, international students in the number that exist now but you know they are two very separate issues in my perception because at uft and i have checked into this personally the domestic student pays about 18k 16k to 18k a year for a degree in computer engineering for example or electrical engineering we'll talk about stem fields mm-hmm. right the international student pays north of 60 a year so for their four year course uh, their tuition itself is a quarter million dollars and then they have living expenses but they have about 16 month uh, months of uh, co-op so i'm you know taking that income and they they tend to get decent income around 55 60k per year so maybe that income uh, you know offsets their living costs for 5 years in, in toronto when they graduate they get placements in big companies like ibm or spotify or you know, big it companies amazon etc at uh, packages north of 100k so for them it is uh, much less severe of a problem first of all they are coming from families with means because quarter million dollars is 15 million rupees indian so they are coming from uh, you know families of very good financial means 
secondly the admissions process is uh, far more stringent compared to colleges mm. where you know acceptance rate is like 99% in some mm. cases so uh, you know they have the academic ability and the financial ability to uh, go through that five year period and then they are much more easily absorbed in the workforce so while it must be painful 15 million rupees is not term uh, change mm-hmm. by any means but it pays whereas these uh, students in colleges uh, you know first of all you hear about the family selling off the little piece of land that they had back in punjab maybe borrowing money from uh, loan sharks and then the kid comes here the gic is borrowed money the government pretends that they have brought their own funds to sustain themselves mm-hmm. even that amount was until recently pitifully low 10000 dollars is neither here nor there you can't survive on 833 dollars a month but the whole fiction uh, starts all the way from the root because the money is borrowed uh in early 2019 this is another angle of it in early 2019 i think it was january when niagara college announced that all the international students from india will be retested for their knowledge of english now consider that they have a certificate from that ielts pronounced as ielts saying that they are proficient in english but the college found that they were unable to follow the instructions in the classroom so they decided to test them again so you are uh, you know your intake consists of a very large cohort of students who are not academically equipped who are not linguistically equipped who are not financially equipped the moment they land here before their uh, semester starts they are looking for a job so in that case you need to have a much better system to filter out people who can actually uh, study here you know if a kid is working 40 hours a week how much time do they have for studies so you are s- setting them up for failure and i was talking with another friend of mine about this recently and he said we are just creating and he is also from india and he said we are just creating an underclass of a massive size that is going to be a societal problem 10 20 years down the line okay i mean like the, the all this with the students i i'm going to just try to switch it up just a little like uh, you know I, i don't disagree with anything you said but i'm looking i look at it from a slightly different side too you're letting all these people in you're bringing them in you're not providing them with any help if you know the if the english language thing is a problem they can't speak proper english that's again an issue you know you're living in canada except for quebec it's an english speaking place you know you need to know the language um you know just even for basic things like i need to go buy bread like you need english but it, and it's not just these students it's it's everything like the, the way you know we talk you know trudeau or the liberal government talks about immigration if you if you argue against it you're a racist like you said like the, the you know what the the stuff coming out of vancouver in the last few years um especially Terry Glavin when he was talking about all the la- money laundering that was going on you know with the like through the Chinese government and China, some some Chinese residents in Vancouver laundering all this money if you brought that up again you were you know anti-asian you're 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 racist you're a bigot you're you know far right nazi or whatever there's been so much of it that Canadians themselves so white Canadians maybe are getting upset you know they, they, and a lot of them are and they and I think if it was just one thing they'd be okay but it's one you know all these multiple things one on top of another then you start getting overreactions from them and all two that are very recent that I can you know talk about was one that night in Winnipeg when they had South Asian diversity night or whatever I mean we could argue whether we should have that night or not but you know you had three young girls I believe they were Sikh they sang oh Canada and Punjabi as from a oh, oh, from what it looked like to me they were born here i don't think those young girls were immigrants maybe their parents were maybe their grandparents were but those young girls were born here so you have you know I, I, if they were born here they're not immigrants but you have like immigrant children or second third generation kids who are going to a hockey game wearing hockey jerseys singing the national anthem yes it's it's in a different language but it's the, the words are the same the meaning is all the same 
I see no issue with that. Like I like these are immigrants who have you know assimilated. These are people who have completely assimilated. They become you know Canadian, and yes, they still respect their roots, which is fine. Which you should. Now, I respect my roots coming back from India, and then I also have some in the Middle East. And I respect those. I have no problem with that. But you know the reaction from a lot of you know like like people. Oh, I'm old stock Canadian. This and that. Uh, you know they were upset about that because it was sung in a different language. And the second one where I can have more sympathy towards the people who are opposed to it is that statue of um, Hanuman in, in just out, it just out in Brampton, right? Like, okay. If it was me and I was opposed to it, which, okay. Uh, <laughs> this is just my thing. Like they have their religious freedom. It's private property. There's no, they, uh, they should be allowed to do it. Like if a church can put up a 50 foot cross, if you can do all this, they should be allowed to do that. But at the same point, I find that statue ugly and gaudy. And if I was living in that neighborhood, I would do whatever I can through the municipality. Like, okay, this is an eyesore. It's bringing down property values. I would try to go the legal route that way. And that would be my complaint. My complaint would not be, oh, it's not Christian. We don't want it in this country. Oh, it's foreign. We're, we're losing that. But so I use those two as a, like an example because everything else that went on, it was one thing on top of another, on top of another, on top of another. And finally people were like at a breaking point and they're at a breaking point for things that aren't nearly as troublesome as, you know, the money laundering or like these, these, you know, certification mills and like all these people coming in on visas, going to fake colleges. Like those are huge problems. A 50 foot Hanuman statue. Yeah. Okay. Like I said, I think it's ugly and gaudy, but it's not attacking your culture. You know, three young girls singing Oh Canada and Punjabi is not attacking your culture. Um, it's a celebration of it. Like the, the Hindu temple, they're, you know, they're people, all Canadian values. Well, freedom of religion is a Canadian value. The, they're practicing their freedom of religion. Like, you know, like it's, it, so the, that's one of my bigger worries. And it, it's been my worry since I got back from overseas in 2014 is we're going to start having overcorrections and what are we going to do about them? And now we're starting to see a lot of those. On a point of uh, clarification that uh, uh, national anthem in Winnipeg, I think I'm told that only a couple of lines in between were in Punjabi. The okay. rest of it was in English. Okay. I, I, I just but you're right. No, you're right about the overreaction because there is so much uh, change being foisted on the society by the official policies that there is this pent up resentment among a lot of people and not necessarily white people. Mm. That, you know, you, you need to manage the pace of change. Now, the overreaction comes from a point of view, which I understand as being that they want the Canadian society to be in a frozen state where things don't change. They are going to change. Mm -hmm. If And I said this on Twitter. I said, if you were to bring a Canadian from 100 years ago in today's society, he would be absolutely infuriated by the way the white society functions. Things like, you know, uh, same-sex marriage, the decline of church attendance and decline of religiosity, at least the overt part of it, the expressed part of it. All those things would uh, absolutely leave them aghast. And they would say that Canada has changed. And this is without the... Uh, the uh, you know inputs from the people who have come from other countries other than Europe. Mm -hmm. So you know this is and it is a very natural reaction. In fact, this was identified by Alvin Toffler uh, more than fifty years ago, fifty-five years to be precise, in his book Future Shock. Mm -hmm. He uh, described it as a state of mind where the future has come too soon. For someone, they are not mentally prepared to accept that change. So, future shock is also, in my understanding, a form of culture shock. So, when you see, uh, you know, opposition coming to certain cultural things like that Hanuman statue in Brampton, mm. it is also because people are feeling overwhelmed by the amount of change that is being caused by uh, too many people arriving from mostly the third world, let's be honest here. So they are bringing their uh, customs and culture in. The Canadian policy of multiculturalism, in my view, is 
terribly misguided so there is no uh, there is no requirement let alone pressure for the newcomer to adjust their uh, way of living and their culture so you know on one side you have a very vocal minority that is uh, desirous of keeping canada in a frozen state where the society doesn't change and in that uh, whole debate about uh, the statue and the national anthem as well i saw some people saying that you know they are changing canada canada is a christian country etc that is a vocal minority i mean uh, if you really go out and talk to people they will be just like you like man it's a private property and the approval process would have been democratic one assumes which means the residents of the area got to have a say and ultimately a decision was uh, made to allow it to go forward on the other side you have the other uh, vocal minority that wants to introduce uh, aspects of their culture regardless of what how it affects others the vast majority in between is silent but change is always made by vocal minority so you, what is often perceived as a clash of cultures is actually a clash between two <laughs> vocal minorities <laughs> at the opposite ends of the spectrum what is necessary is uh, i think a policy that balances out the concerns of all the uh, stakeholders in the society which we don't have which is why and globe and mail reported uh, recently that the plan is to increase international student uh, intake to 1.4 million by 2027 now how are they going to live how does it impact the healthcare services are there going to be that many jobs like in december uh, last month our economy produced 100 net jobs and those were also like 26500 full time jobs lost and 26600 part time jobs gained so basically we converted 26500 people to from full time to part time and that has to have an impact on gdp because they are now earning less spending less so you know the uh, how a particular piece of policy impacts everything else that is somehow not in focus in political circles and i am not specifically you know aiming this at the trudeau government because here in ontario Ford yeah. government is doing the same by, you know, making it possible for a one-year certificate holder to get, gain a permanent residency. It's you know, it's all completely lopsided. It ignores every other impact of the policy and just pursues one end, that is, get as many people in Canada as soon as possible, because the world is soon going to run out of people. Like that's not going to happen. Let's yeah. be sensible. But I mean, one thing you mentioned there—it's and it's the multiculturalism thing—and I've I've said this before. Like, I prefer the melting pot idea of the U.S. than multiculturalism here in Canada. And an example I give is, okay, so I said I was six when we moved here, so you know, foggy memory. So I'm sure I'm getting some of this wrong. But my parents, when we first got here, there was government courses. I don't know if it was the Quebec government or I don't know if it was the federal government, but you had courses at night for a couple of weeks. where you went in and you learned about okay we have freedom of religion you can practice your religion but you can't force it on others and it wasn't like going through the penal code and stuff like that but it was just general these are our values these are what we uphold and to make sure that the new immigrants understood what the society you were living in and you could try to then adapt your cultures to the society you're coming in they got rid of that and then when they got this you know in the early 80s when they shifted towards multiculturalism that's when you really started having these you know divisions more and more i mean okay uh toronto's ghettoized montreal's ghettoized and i'm not even talking about like south asians or east asians or anything like that like if you go to montreal you have the portuguese section you have little italy you have you know like a greek section you have all like that was already little ghettoized but people still got along because they were all looking for a shared ideal of what is canada but then you got rid of that in the 80s so people coming in as immigrants Yeah I like I want them to come in and bring their food and bring their music and bring their culture and I'll pick and choose what I like and I'll I'll adopt it or I won't but there should be they should be told that there's a sense of this is what it is to be Canadian and we lost that 
I mean, especially, okay. Yeah. I, okay. I agree with you that it's not just a Trudeau government. A lot of this stuff has been building for years, but I pick on Trudeau because he came in, he just ran with the ball and he just, you know, pumped up speed and started throwing coal in the engine, letting it go faster and faster and faster. Like, so like he really accelerated all this stuff. Um, but yeah, like there's something should be done. Like you can't just, something's going to snap. You're going to have either some horrible violence or, you know, you're going to have it go back the other way where they start kicking people out, um, which some, I think they should like, you know, I don't want to get into the Israeli Palestine thing, but some of these people calling for the death of Jews and the destruction of Israel, I think if they're not citizens, get them the hell out of this country, but that, that's a whole other topic, but you know, yeah. but yeah, like it's so I, I find that, like, I find that we kind of hamstrung ourselves. We wanted to bring in more people, but we, then we cut back to services. And I, I mean, I've spoken with a couple of people about this and I said, look, hey, look, it takes about 18 months to get your visa to come into Canada in that 18 months time. We have the technology, we have everything available. Why don't you just have online courses where you make these people while they're waiting for their visa, they start learning about the system they're coming into, you know, and they, they don't even do that. It, it, so it's like, you know, it's another thing where they're ill preparing newcomers to come into this country. See, I have uh, written and spoken about uh, this multiculturalism from one particular angle, which is that my definition of multiculturalism is when someone is able to, the same individual, is able to occupy more than one cultural space. Mm -hmm. But we don't practice that. When we have multiple cultures existing side by side, without interacting with each other, we call it multiculturalism. Mm -hmm. That, in my opinion, is wrong. Just to give you a very simple example, the easiest way to uh, participate in another culture is by eating. Mm -hmm. So if a uh, you know, non-Indian goes to an Indian restaurant and eats palak paneer and garlic naan, they think that they are being multicultural, whereas they are only consuming that culture. It's much more difficult to uh, make palak paneer and garlic naan and if they master that then they are multicultural in my definition so you know the we are looking for the path of least resistance to being multicultural and one of those paths and because it is beneficial to politicians that is the one that dominates is to participate in the politics of another jurisdiction and typically, that will be the uh, jurisdiction of the country of origin of the immigrant group. I spoke about this. This struck me when uh, some people from Eritrea, uh, you know, had demonstrations, two rival demonstrations somewhere in Alberta, could have been Edmonton. And there was a clash between them and a few, few of them were injured. See, we are now multi-political instead of multicultural. So everybody, you know, within immigrant communities, not everybody, but a lot, many of them are constantly talking about politics from the country of origin. And in the case of Palestine, it may not even be the country of their origin. That's not where they came from. They, they just have a religious identification with the people of Palestine or Israel for that. matter. So, uh, you know, you have uh, the political class adding fuel to this whole process and fuel i don't mean in the sense of the fire but fuel in the sense of fuel in a vehicle so now the vehicle is going farther now when you have that you will definitely create divisions in the society because you know countries unfortunately this is human history where countries have been at odds with each other if not outright at war with each other and when you bring people from those places here, those overseas uh, battles should not be allowed to manifest inside Canada. But nobody has the guts to say that. And you know, when uh, Prime Minister Trudeau initially said that Canada has no core identity, I thought it was a thoroughly laughable statement. But in eight years, we have moved in a direction where it is becoming less and less laughable and more and more reality. 
Yeah, I mean that that thing with Trudeau. I mean, I don't know if that's you know self fulfilling prophecy or anything because that's the way he's governed as well, right? Like that there is no core Canadian identity. Even I, I believe it was I, I don't know if it was his first year or second year because it was something that I saw and it just really bugged me. He's like, oh, uh, immigrants are are truer Canadians than people born here. I'm like, you yes. know, like that, that's you're you're insulting the majority of your population here, and it's it's like it's, so it's things like that. I mean. I, Again, I get the dissatisfaction coming from Canadians, you know, and, and you know, Christian Canadians or white Canadians. I mean, like the, because I started following this, I just started noticing a lot of things. So like, okay, like the church is being burned, you know, and Trudeau saying, oh, well, I can understand their anger. Like, okay, their anger based on what? It turned out that the graves were a whole lie. You know, I'm not saying that the, the residential schools, we can talk about how bad they were. We can talk about all that, but the whole point of the graves and why these churches were being burned, that was a lie. So I mean, Notre Dame Cathedral in Montreal, just over just before Christmas, there was an arson at it. And it's, you know, I can see that. And there's no, you know, one mosque gets has some bacon left at the at the front doorstep, and oh my God, it's a national emergency. But, you know, 80 some odd churches vandalized and burned and some completely destroyed. And some of these belong to immigrant communities. You know, like there's a Korean and church. First so, nations. Yeah. And first nations. Yeah. And so it's 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 so that's kind of ridiculous and it's th this whole idea of there is no canadian identity yes there is there was and it's not you know be it hockey and beer if you that's what you want to make canadian identity like you know like fine great like it was i used to joke again in the 80s like when growing up like it was it was a molson commercial that got so much attention and it got and like people still play it on youtube or whatever i don't know if you I don't know if you're around or if you've ever seen it but it's like it was, a, it was a they played it during the hockey games this guy gets up and says, yeah, hi, my name is like Joe or something like that. And I am Canadian. And it's like, you know, Canada is the, uh, the, you know, we believe in multiculturalism, not, as, uh, not assimilation. And like, we just went on about how Canada is like the best country in the world or whatever. And I'm like, okay, everyone in Canada talked about that. Everyone like, you know, like when it first came out, it was, didn't matter if you were white, brown, yellow, pink, it did like everyone, they, they identified with that commercial. And I'm like, okay, can you get more Canadian than that? Like a commercial during a hockey game about beer is like, you know, is, yeah. is uniting Canadians. And we don't have that. And yes. I mean, our government is purposely gone out of its way to divide Canadians. Like it's, you know, I mean, I'll ramble for a little more. Like there was, this was, I think it was 2018, maybe. Um, Trudeau was doing one of his little, tours around the country going and speaking to people and a lot of so i i believe at that point you had something like thirty thousand or forty thousand people come in into quebec illegally that summer so this elderly woman um she looked to be in her 70s asked trudeau in french like who is going to pay for all this which that's a legitimate it's a legitimate question and his response was racism has no place in canada now she didn't say get these people out she asked who is paying for this which is I'm, I'm sorry it's a legitimate question and as the leader of the country to one of your constituents on national television telling her that you know racism has no place in this country i mean you're calling this little old lady racist when she's in a small community that's being affected you know and like you know for in her mind canada's changing completely and from what she grew up with or what she remembered and instead of having any kind of compassion or any kind of, okay, I understand where you're coming from, but this is what's going to happen. He just accuses her of being racist. You know, see, these, uh, looping back to our international student discussion, uh, it's the same thing. If you say that all these people are coming in, where are they going to live? Then you are called a racist. Or at the start of COVID, in fact, you know, this is highly interesting. Because when COVID began, wearing a mask was supposed to be racist. That's what a lot yep. of politicians were saying and then it they became mandatory yep. so that's what i find interesting like they made racism mandatory yep. so you know it's you know this is all uh, kind of stock answers that don't even apply to the situation yep. or to the question but they that that's all they are equipped with you know if if you got baseball gear and you show up at a soccer game what you can produce is baseball gear mm -hmm. You don't have the gear for soccer. So, you know, that's, uh, it, it, you know, it goes all the way down to the, you know, grassroots of the political process where the kind of people that are able to make it through to the nomination, the, the way the whole process works. 
and i have written about this also that you know it's a foregone conclusion that people who sit in parliament the majority the vast majority of them will be mentally ill equipped to tackle the issues that uh, are within their jurisdiction to tackle they will they will have absolutely no mental resources they will have no one around them because they are all surrounded by yes men yes women psychopaths so there is nobody to tell them hey you know what you are making a fool of yourself this is the right answer like it should have come immediately saying okay this is a valid question you are a taxpayer and all these people coming in are creating a you know demand on uh, taxpayer funds and therefore we have to think about it but that kind of honest answer is not possible in political circles so all he had to say was that you are racist um getting back to the students thing like and it, it's going to touch on this too it's like so i've been you know i've been looking at all this like the, call it the woke stuff call it the progressive stuff whatever it is like well, how they talk about racism you know like white you white people you can't be racist towards white people like all that kind of stuff like though the whole thing of intersectionality and critical race theory and everything and kendy style anti-racism now that all comes from the universities so we've got a political class now of a certain age who that's when they went into the humanities that's how they that's the lens they were given to view the world i've seen this with um you know i was involved with a couple of ex-muslim groups and i've seen this with younger ex-muslims who grew up in very strict households they go to university they are given these things that to them seems the antithesis of islam where you know gay rights and transgenderism women's rights and you know like none of those things are accepted within islam um yes. you know if you want to talk about the abrahamic faiths in general no like if you go to the hardcore orthodoxy they're not accepted but i'm just curious like about some of these students coming in okay if they're taking a stem course or if they're taking uh you know computer engineering they're probably not going to get some of this but what if some of them come into and start taking political science or philosophy or whatever and i think that's why you're seeing so much of it in the palestinian protests and the, these protests coming from the middle east and they've come in they were already given grievance in the middle east about how you know the world is against you or you were colonized whatever they come here at their schools they're being told the same thing and then you've got a government class who's you know drunk from the same well and they're thinking the same thing so it's it, it's it's like it, it's perpetuating itself in many multiple different levels so okay Canadian kids are less of them are going to college because they're finding it unhelpful, which I think right now I wouldn't go to university for an arts degree. You know, I, I like I, if it's not STEM or if it's not medicine or something like that, I, I, I think university is a waste of time right now. Um, but these foreign students who are coming in. Okay. Well, you can then now get them to think the way you want them to think because you're making them take mandatory diversity courses. You're making them take these mandatory other courses. And so it's, it's, I don't know if Trudeau thinks far enough ahead of that, or I don't even can think that far ahead, but, you know, we'll, we're going to bring these people in and we're going to change them to our way of thinking. Cause we're bringing them in younger, like, yeah, they're twenties, but still like, you know, you can mold their minds to think this way and then they're going to have that grievance coming in with them. So like, I don't know where, you, what you think about something like that. See the whole, um, personal desire to appear virtuous mm. is not only uh, becoming popular but being uh, transmitted and mainly via educational institutions i remember uh, i think 3 or 4 years ago there was this uh, controversy in toronto where it was either the toronto district school board or toronto public library system <clears throat> that had invited two speakers uh, for kids as a motivational you know to share their mm -hmm. life story so that you know young kids and especially women uh, young girls uh, can be motivated one of them was maria nain the mm -hmm. famous lawyer who mm -hmm. fought uh, admiral normal's case vice admiral normal's mm -hmm. case and jan gomeshi's case uh, where you know she prevailed uh, her mm -hmm. you know uh, the jan gomeshi was uh, i think acquitted and uh, the case against vice admiral norman was dropped 
so she was one of them and the other one was uh, nadia murad the yazidi lady yeah. who was captured by isis kept as a sex slave sold probably many times and then she finally made it to canada as a refugee and uh, i think she won a nobel prize uh, so <clears throat> the you know the whole event was cancelled and the reason for cancelling the uh, speech by nadia murad was that uh, you know it might spread islamophobia now yeah. criticizing isis would actually strengthen the case that islam is a religion of peace if that is seen as islamophobia by people who are not even muslims whose only motivation is the desire to appear virtuous because they want to be seen to be standing against islamophobia it, it's completely bonkers mm-hmm. because they don't think if they want to think they don't have sufficient knowledge of the issue but they are in position of authority that that's why they are able to guide the society in a certain direction so when it comes to the instructions that uh, children get in schools whether it is gender ideology or islamophobia or dei equity diversity whatever mm. people with very uh, limited um, knowledge if at all uh, any knowledge uh, they are the ones uh, you know sitting in positions of uh, authority deciding what the kids should learn and i am genuinely afraid that you know the kids who take this uh, teaching seriously will come out horribly confused yeah i know i'm okay okay look i've been i've been harping on this for years now um it's you're creating a generation of kids who are going to be uh you know they're going to be dysfunctional you i i equate it to madrasas so like okay the kids going through madrasas in pakistan not all of them are going to join ISIS or the Taliban or Boko Haram but you'll have enough of them who are conservative to a certain point that you know if you look at some of the polls coming out of the UK like 98% one homosexuality uh made illegal so you're going to have enough that you know won't go out and kill the apostate or, or throw the the gay man off the 12th 12 story building but they'll approve it or they'll want something else And so that's what I'm saying with these schools now it's like you are turning them into woke madrasas and mm-hmm. you're going to have the other side of it as well so you're making a a buffet table for extremists of all stripes to go pick off because I mean you know I studied some of this in school when I was you know I studied like terrorism and I studied how you indoctrinate people and it's like you know they'll go for the kids who are disenfranchised they'll go for the kids who feel alone and feel you know put upon But when you're teaching this stuff to kids and you're telling them, "Oh, because you're not white, you're oppressed and you're always going to be oppressed." And if you tell the white kids, "You are oppressing all these other people." These are little children who don't know any better. And they're going to they're going to get anxious. They're going to have this in the back of their head. So you have a recruitment now for white supremacists to go to the white kids. See, they all hate you. You have recruitment for like the brown, black and yellow kids to say, "Oh, yo, you're being attacked by whitey." Um I keep bringing up one example of this place in New York City. it was a K through 8 academy called the Dalton Academy now i think at the time it was something like $45,000 a year for this place so it's not cheap mm-hmm. so in 2015 they sent letters home to the parents of kids in grade from grade 3 to grade 8 and they said would you let us know how which race your child identifies with especially like mixed race kids and then for 45 minutes a week they split the kids up into you know a quote unquote affinity groups which is basically just segregating the kids by race mm-hmm. and they told all the non-white kids you're oppressed you'll never succeed because of all the white people they told all the white kids uh you guys are oppressors you've i mean these are little children like uh, what's a third grade student done to anyone you know like <laughs> like you know or for that matter what's an eighth grade student done um yeah what these kids started doing then was going online saying what's good about my race what's bad about this race and in a few months you had open race warfare in the halls of this school the school still has huge racial issues there were some jewish parents i think 2 years ago that started that sued the school because of outright antisemitism coming out from the school because of all this stuff and i use that as an example i mean like we've had like these experiments have been run over and over and over again and yet we're doing that in our education system you know it, it's crazy 
Yeah, I think it was in 2016 or 2017 when the University of Toronto has a separate convocation for black students. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's crazy. And they, they have had it uh, every year since, but not in STEM. Yeah. Engineering faculty has a common uh, uh, convocation for all students. So I think it must be in humanities where they, so you are bringing back segregation. Yep. Previously, you know, it was based on something else saying, hey, you are too lowly for us mm -hmm. to associate with you. And now it is that uh, you are so special that you deserve a, a safe space. As if, you know, people who are not white are shrinking violets, yeah. you know. No, there's there's too much of it. Like, I mean, I I don't want to keep. Like, I, I realize the time, and I don't want to keep you too much longer. But there's elementary schools who had. Oh, this is a a BIPOC play night, so they had different play nights, and one was for yo non whites, one was for whites. I'm like, and then you had some idiots in British Columbia who put up a sign saying "whites only club," mm -hmm. and everyone was freaking out about that. Oh my god, white supremacists! But it's been going on by school boards this whole time. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Um. It's ridiculous. Like I said, I don't want to keep you too too much longer. But uh, if you want to, you know, any last thoughts on, on like the the student immigration thing and like that, and if you want to let people know where they can get a hold of you, and I'll put all the links in the description. Uh, please go ahead. Yeah, sure. You know, on the student uh, international student thing, I've said it uh, before, and I'll say it again that the need of the hour is to shut the program down completely. Look at all the ways in which it has uh, resulted in problems, either via malfeasance or whatever. And then build a new program that actually benefits Canada and the newcomers, the international students themselves, because right now they are losing big time and they are going to keep losing all their lives. So that's what I have to say on the international student thing. And my website is darshanmaharaja.ca. My Twitter handle is at theophanasurex. That's T-H-E-O-P-H-A-N-E-S-R-E-X. I have a podcast, uh, Our Canadian Journey. It's on uh, Podbean app, but you can also find it at uh, Google Podcasts and uh, Spotify. Well, great. Well, thank you very much for coming on, Darshan. It was very good talking to you. I mean, like I said, I enjoy your Twitter. Um, and yeah, it was it was very good talking to you. I, I mean, I agree with you on a lot of these things. If we're not going to help the people we're bringing in, then there's no point. Exactly. And thank you for having me. Mm -hmm. And thank you everyone for listening. And I'll be back.